Welcome to the Wellbeing for Real Life podcast. Have you ever wanted to live life better, but found yourself baffled, bewildered, and bored by complicated, confusing, and condescending advice? This podcast is the antidote. I'm Dr. Richard Pyle, GP, lifestyle medicine specialist, and author of Fit for Purpose. Each episode, I'm joined by leading experts as we explore different areas that affect our everyday lives. This is the Wellbeing for Real Life podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wellbeing for Real Life. In this episode, we're talking about mindfulness. I'm Dr. Richard Pyle, GP with a special interest in cardiovascular medicine and lifestyle medicine, and author of Fit for Purpose. My extra special guest is Dr. Wendy Maleffi, who is particularly qualified to uh, help us with today's topic. Wendy, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me once again. I'm a GP, but I have a special interest in well-being. So I am a well-being coach and I'm a mindfulness teacher as well. So very much appropriate. It's great to have you on the podcast, Wendy. I wanted to start just by asking a potentially slightly controversial question. Mindfulness. It's become a bit of a buzzword. We've heard a lot about it in the last year or two, particularly in, in the context of the pandemic and mental health. Is it a real thing or is it potentially a bit of a fad? That is a very fair question, Richard, because it's certainly out there, isn't it? We have heard a lot about mindfulness, mindfulness this, mindfulness that. So there's mindfulness everything. So it's understandable that perhaps there might be some sort of... um. I guess, question marks in terms of, yeah, is it a Fed or is it just a tick box exercise for employers when they want to address the well-being of their employees? But from my point of view, and to be fair, mindfulness has been out there for a long time, for thousands of years, actually. Mindfulness has its roots in Buddhist tradition. It's actually called sati. That's a Pali word, and the literal translation for sati is remembering. And that means remembering to come back to this moment. Because so often, so often, more often than not, we are either living in the past or living in the future. So mindfulness is really an invitation to cultivate our sense of awareness of this moment this present moment of me talking to you right now, Richard, instead of me planning what I'm going to do when I get home. So it's remembering to do that. So it's really a cultivation of an awareness of the moment, awareness of our thoughts, our emotions, as well as what's happening in the body and how that all relates to each other and links to each other. And in through doing that, In becoming aware in that sort of way, we begin to notice the patterns of behavior, some patterns that might not be so skillful in our lives, that might not be so helpful, so that we can perhaps learn to sort of step back and observe and uh, know that we have different choices in terms instead of the usual reactive patterns that we tend to have. Mm. So that's what mindfulness simply means but it has been packaged into all sorts of various courses and it's uh, presented in various ways and forms in fact it was in the late 70s that uh, John Kabat-Zinn secularized mindfulness 
through by offering a course called uh, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which was meant for people with chronic pain whom nobody else could help. So he packaged this program and it has actually been shown to be quite successful, so much that there has been other courses that have burgeoned from this particular one. Mm. So in as much as it may seem like it's a fad or it's some sort of corporate tick box, it has legs, there is merit behind it, it has meaning and it has usefulness. Thank you. So it sounds like not only is it not a fad, which was obviously a very leading question, um, (laughs) it sounds like it also isn't necessarily something that requires you to embrace any particular philosophy or religious belief. It's got quite a long-standing tradition in the the Christian faith as well, as I understand it, and and others. Yes, I mean, absolutely. There is no specific, I guess, having mentioned that it has uh, Buddhist underpinnings, in itself, it's a word no different to gravity, which means just noticing, being aware of something in that little bit more of an intimate way so that you can see if is this helpful or is it not helpful. So through some of these courses, practicing mindfulness, you've mentioned sort of, sort of I guess, it being mentioned from a Christian point of view. It's not just about that sense of awareness, it's imbued also with these other virtues or qualities like kindness and compassion and learning to accept yourself. Mm. And really, that's what gives it its uh, foundation, if you like, sort of that sense of awareness, which is imbued with kindness and compassion of what is going on right now in my life. And instead of perhaps trying to push it away, because what we tend to do when there is difficulty in our lives, we want to either push it away or suppress it in some sort of way. But the invitation through mindfulness practice is about sitting with it, sitting with the difficult and actually seeing that it'll pass and also seeing it from a different perspective, that word perspective yet again that we've talked about. So it enables that. I was struck by our use of the word sitting with it. One of my observations is, and I've heard many other people say it, is that in our modern day society that there's relatively little tolerance for for discomfort, mm. for, for pain. And there's almost the assumption, whether spoken or unspoken, that if you're in an unpleasant situation, then then what you deserve and what must happen is that that must be removed as quickly as possible because no one should have to experience it. But actually you're suggesting that there is a value in in sitting with that and learning from it, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, if there's a safety issues, there's pain, if you can move away from it, yes, do. But more often than not, it's the kind of discomfort that we can't control. We talked about that earlier as well, in that if it's the challenge or the difficulty that you have no control over, instead of running away from it, which is habitual pattern, which doesn't bear anything in the end, you don't learn anything, by sitting with this, whatever it is, because it's often a combination of thoughts that seem to be real, a whole turmoil of emotions that are also manifesting in the body. So it's just about really almost unpacking this in a non-judging way, just being with if there's kind of tingling, oh, that's tingling. If there's tightness, oh, that's tightness, without creating a layer or story on top of that. In doing that, 
you're almost sort of uh, dissipating to some degree that emotional charge that might come with any difficulty, if you like. And let me be clear, it's not just about the difficulty. There's also joy in life. There's mm. difficulty, there's joy. So it's about also being able to revel in mm. moments of joy because sometimes we just... Uh, we have a moment and we, we're already thinking of something else. It's about yeah. being able to be with the joyful moments and be with the difficult moments without necessarily judging and creating a whole load of narrative that compounds any kind of distress that might be there. I think in one of our podcasts, I talked about this Buddhist analogy about the second arrow, which essentially, as I explained the first arrow is deemed to be that pain from loss, uh, from illness, from injury, from emotional distress that we cannot take away. That's the first arrow. You can't change that. But what the human nature is to do is to then, oh, catastrophize, ruminate, oh, what if this has happened? What if that had happened? When it ha actually hasn't even happened so in doing that, you're shooting the second arrow. Mm. You're compounding the distress over something that you needn't do. But, you know, we all learn. It's about learning to notice that, ah, there I am doing it and pausing. That's a really helpful description. I can actually identify with that in, in my own life as well. Um, although I'm not as expert on you uh, <laughs> as mindfulness, I, I did start to explore it when our oldest, Luke, was, was at home. and. Um, Life was quite stressful because of his seizures and he could have many seizures a night. Ambulances called out, mm -hmm. hospital departments visited. And even on the nights when that didn't happen, I would find myself lying on the, on the floor in his bedroom, heart pounding, waiting yes. for the next seizure, anticipating the next episode to arrive, just like a person might feel a tingle in the chest and just think it could be a heart attack. Yes. And, and I found by developing mindfulness, and I, I did it through the headspace, yes. having read um, mindfulness finding peace in a frantic world. Yes. I found that if nothing else, although I couldn't change those circumstances, when I found my thoughts beginning to spiral, whether that was at work or at home, the discipline you learn, the, the mental discipline, that the shift in mindset you get with the mindfulness meant I was able to kind of observe those, acknowledge those thoughts for what they were yes. without kind of getting sucked down the rabbit hole and spiraling into Absolutely. sort of despair and panic. Absolutely. And that's exactly what the practice encourages or, or teaches in that through perhaps even starting as in, a, in a simple practice like focusing your attention on the breath. Mm. Essentially, you're training your attention such that when it comes to thoughts and you notice that you are on this train of thought that's spiraling somewhere else where you don't want to go, where you've been, but somehow you're caught in the spiral. You're able to see, when you have that awareness, you're able to see, ah, there I go. Because thoughts are just thoughts, they're just mental events. It's all happening in the mind. I know it's a bit annoying when somebody says that, but it's all happening in the mind. They're not fact. Mm. So you're able to see that process and you're able to perhaps short-circuit it before it reaches a point of yeah. no return, a point whereby you're now a heap of stress on the floor. Through various ways, you mm. can sort of learn to divert your attention to something else that will stop you going down that path. So so that's. Uh, I think that leads us nicely on to talk about the practical side of things. You know, We've had a really good conversation about, about the theory. We've talked about it in detail. 
let's take it back to a consultation where you or I are, or, or anyone listening to this podcast is sitting in front of, say, a patient, for example, if they're a doctor, and the patient says, well, thank you for describing mindfulness. That seems very complicated. I'm glad that you're good at it, and, and it sounds like <laughs> it would take a long time to develop. How would you start that conversation practically in, in, in a 10-minute consultation? Do you talk about the theory? Do you ever take them through any exercises? How, how do you approach it? Yes, it, it depends whether the consultation lends itself to that conversation in the first place. It may come when somebody's describing it's usually mental health related problem. And firstly, I would invite, I guess I would have this conversation about mindfulness as an option and might explain all the ins, the ins and outs as we've already discussed. And I would just invite the patient, you know, to have that sort of open mind, to have that sense of curiosity about what it could be. In fact, to, to, to be honest, mindfulness, we, we can talk about it, intellectualize it. The thing is, it needs to be experienced. Absolutely. It's an experiential practice. So actually, I was wondering if we could, we could do a short practice. And I, I mean, the thing is, it doesn't have to take long. So we could do a short practice and I could just demonstrate to you what I might do within the limitations of a 10-minute consultation that is a useful mindfulness practice. Are you game? I am absolutely up for it, yes. Excellent. I don't have my bells, but we'll imagine that I have my, my bells, which I will cling, and then just um, sort of invite you to make that intentional change in your posture just perhaps just uh, sitting forward a little bit so that your back is self-supporting. Just ensure that your legs are resting on a leg rest, your hands are resting on your lap. Just embodying this sense of dignity, the body embodying the sense of dignity, being alert, being awake. And if you're comfortable with it, you can even close your eyes. But if not, you can just simply drop your gaze onto the ground in front of you. Relaxing your shoulders. Softening the muscles on your face and your jaw, because that's where we tend to kind of hold our stresses and our tension. And just arriving in this moment. Giving yourself permission to arrive in this moment. And then just becoming aware of what's happening in the body and mind right now. What thoughts are here? What emotions are here? And what sensations can you feel in the body right now? And not changing anything, just letting it being here, if anything, rolling out the welcome mat and allowing it to be here because it's here. Whatever is here, being with it. And then when you're ready, just narrowing your focus of attention and bringing it to your breath, becoming aware that you're breathing. And then just following the in-breath for its full duration and the out-breath for its full duration.
just following the breath. And sooner or later you'll notice that your mind wanders off elsewhere. That's normal, that's what minds do. Just simply noticing where the mind has gone and just kindly and gently bring it back to the breath, to that point in the body where you feel the breath the most vividly. Just following the in-breath and the out-breath. This breath. And this breath. And when you're ready on the next moment, just expanding your awareness around the breath to include the whole body sitting here, Becoming aware that you are here in this room, sensing sensations where you're sitting on the chair, sounds in the room, perhaps the presence of others in the room. And just taking this sense of awareness, this sense of openness to the next moments of your day. And if your eyes were closed, just opening them and just uh, coming back into the room as it were. Taking a breath, a little stretch if you need to. So Richard, that was a short mindfulness practice. I don't know how long that took, but that's something sometimes I do when I notice that it is needed. And it can be so powerful in just grounding someone into the present moment mm. i don't know what you notice have you noticed anything i forgot to ask it if you notice anything from that short practice what was your experience well first of all thank you very much for that and even though i have practiced it by myself in the past regularly having someone else take me through it in, in a slightly different way from the way that i've done it is really interesting i feel um physically i feel like i'm very relaxed and kind of feeling like i'm sort of all together and just in one place not not distracted, not yes. thinking about other things. I can feel the physical tension has gone out of my shoulders and yeah, yes. that was very nice. Yeah, it's interesting. And actually that's not even the intention. That's a byproduct of actually focusing on this moment. You notice that any physical sensations that might have been lurking about out of tension, out of stress, somehow... They dissipate. Mm. Any emotional charge somehow dies down through just that sense of awareness, focus, not judging, allowing things to be. Mm. You know, feels heard. The body feels heard in the sense sometimes I say. And what's interesting from my point of view as a clinician, because we get interested in these things, is that there's plenty of evidence to support that mindfulness-based approaches actually are beneficial. There's uh, MBCT, a course that I teach. It has been shown in numerous studies that it's very effective in reducing rates of relapse of depression in people who have recurring depression. And there's plenty of evidence as well in terms of anxiety and reducing pain in patients with cancer and just improving that sense of well-being. Mm. And I know there are other programs to do with um, relapse prevention in addictions 
And also there are studies that have looked at functional MRIs, looking at the brain. And actually they can show that there are changes in the brain that are called neuroplastic changes in the pathways that are related to this sense of the areas that are to do with, I guess, sense of training our attention. So, you know, there is evidence that over the last 30 years, there's certainly been an exponential growth of research supporting the efficacy of mindfulness programs. So much that actually NICE, which regulates what treatments are offered in the NHS, actually recommends mindfulness-based cognitive therapy as a treatment for occurring depression. So for me, that's quite reassuring. Absolutely. And I, I was struck by your comment about the functional MRI scanning. I'm, I'm aware of that evidence too. And it just strikes me as, as amazing that it's not, you can't just demonstrate um, an improved score, but actually you can see how people's anatomy has changed, the, the bits of their brain that have slightly enlarged yes. uh, or shrunk as a result of a mindfulness practice, yes. which I think is hopefully something that would persuade people of it of its value yes. if they're arguing about the more subjective side of things mm-hmm. that's pretty solid evidence isn't it really yeah absolutely and if we were to we, we spoke started off talking about the concepts of mindfulness we've talked about how you do it uh, you've given us a lovely example including what a gp might even do in a, in a consultation or any sort of other health practitioner what would be your tips your takeaways from today in terms of just just to start people off yeah. in the right direction you might still be feeling potentially a a little bit daunted about the whole prospect? Certainly, I think it's yet again coming from that point of view of being curious and being open-minded to just see, explore it. You've tried different things, so this is worth exploring. Coming with that openness of mind certainly allows, I guess, I guess for more exploration, for more discovery. In terms of simple things, I, you know, things that I sometimes recommend to my patients is that, like say, when you get up in the morning, Instead of bounding out of bed, just spend a few moments just focusing your attention on the breath, taking a few breaths, just following the breath. It might be that you focus on sensations of the breath in the tummy area and just follow a few breaths before you get up and get on with your day. In addition, you could sometimes recommend that doing one activity in the day mindfully. And by that, I just mean being present in that activity that you're going to do. If it's going to drink a cup of tea, just having the whole sensory experience as you lift the kettle to put it on there, noticing what your hand is doing, the pouring and the temperature, feeling the temperature and just really being present with that activity. I say tea, even emptying the bins or washing the dishes, you can be mindful and be present with any activity that you choose. And what's interesting is as you're doing that naturally, because we do, the mind does, it flies off to other things, to memories, daydreams or whatever. It is about noticing where the mind has gone. That is part of the practice. Your task in that is just to notice, oh, there I go again, come back, remembering. Remember we said about sati, meaning remembering. Just bring back the mind again to this. And actually, some of the studies have shown that it's actually healing. It improves our sense of happiness, this ability to manage our attention. It actually helps regulate our emotions as well. 
There's certainly a lot of apps out there mm. that people can just explore. You've mentioned Headspace. That's one good one. There's another one called Calm. And then, yeah, there's one that I use a lot more of called Insight Timer. So it's just a question of yet again, inviting that curiosity and trying it out and just seeing if it works for you or not and just giving it a chance. Mm. And of course, there are books you've mentioned, Finding Peace in a Frantic World by Mark Williams and Danny Penman. That's a really good book. And in that, actually, they have a CD which, with practices else and courses there are courses out there that people can explore to go on to be guided structurally in that sort of way that's very helpful wendy thank you you are of course showing your age by referring to having a cd in the back of the book because <laughs> most people nowadays would take that out of the book and go and oh, what do i do with this <laughs> you had to point that out richard didn't you <laughs> Look, those are all really good uh, i loved your illustration of, of emptying the bin i have practiced mindfulness whilst eating yes. whilst walking whilst running limited success with whilst driving but whilst emptying the bin that I'm going to put that on my list put it on the list because that's that's not my favorite job <laughs> and if I'm honest I do it slightly resentfully at the moment put it on the list and give it a go and let me know what happens thank you Wendy <laughs> Wendy that's, it's been a great great conversation with you today thank you for sharing your considerable expertise I hope that our readers have found it even more helpful than I have it's been a pleasure to talk to you and um, thank you very much for your time thank you for having me it's been an absolute pleasure You've been listening to Wellbeing for Real Life with me, Dr. Richard Pyle. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a nice review and tell other people about it. If you'd like to learn more, my book Fit for Purpose is out now, published by Harper Inspire and available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. You can also follow me on Twitter, YouTube, and my website, wellbeingforreal.life. This podcast was recorded at Monkey Nut Audiobooks. Until next time, Take care of yourself.